Hey, welcome to the Afikra podcast. My name is Mikey Mhenna. Today we have another episode of Outline, our series all about process. With us, we have Faisal Al-Yafi from New Lines magazine. We talk about publishing, magazine, covering the Middle East and much more. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome everyone. My name is Mikey Mhenna and I am excited to have you here for another episode of Outline, our a process focused series that's all about the process into making something and we have with us Faisal Yafi the executive editor of New Lines Media and Faisal is the um he's a journalist a playwright and a partner at Hillebrand Nord he was previously an investigative journalist for the Guardian in London and a documentary journalist for the BBC and has reported from across the Middle East and Eastern Europe, Russia and Indonesia. He's one of the founding editors of New Lines. Faisal is a friend and I'm excited to have him on the series. Faisal, welcome to our fikra. Thank you, Mikey. Thank you. I um it's you know the, the nice thing about this one is that it feels like I'm talking to a friend. Um yeah. but the other thing is that it's it's nice to finally be asked like after all these after all these years watching our fikra stuff and uh like going to events like uh-huh can I get a bit of light as well? So thank you, Mikey. <laughs> no, no, thanks well, so much. It's gonna be it's gonna be very interesting. Actually, I'm excited. I'm excited too because you know when we first met, um, which we met through Africa and through these types of events, um, I was really really intrigued in um, in what you were working on. Um, it's hard to make a publication. Uh, it's hard to do something that is as sort of um, diligently designed and meticulously curated and built um and so i'm very curious to understand the process behind new lines magazine so before we get into it why don't you tell us a little bit about um what new lines is in a sentence or what you thought it would be in a sentence well <clears throat> i think what we thought it would be uh, is is still evolving i'll tell you what i think we think of it as um telling the story of the middle east better and it's not telling the real story of the middle east because often that that comes across as um uh, one of the editors rash alas has this uh, expression islam explaining and it comes across like that if you're like i want to tell the real story and it's like no this is not we don't need to tell the real story the real story already exists and even the same thing with this idea that you're telling um the untold story or the secret story none of that stuff the story is already out there people can yeah. just go and look for it the problem was the reason we wanted to do this thing is that they were not looking for it even though it was out there so telling the story but better yeah do you feel like um part of it is um do you feel like you're scratching an itch before we get into the the questions yeah, yeah. that are sort of prescribed as part of outline do you feel like you were scratching an itch um that the readers needed scratching or do you feel like you were scratching an itch that you and your the creators needed scratching so a bit of both i mean let's start with you know the scratching the the personal itch yeah Th there there are things that i am am endlessly fascinated by uh, 
And, you know, you look at you know, the wonderful thing about working with such a, like a, such a clever and talented team is they know lots of stuff. Sometimes that has a downside because it means that sometimes they know things that I don't or they think that I am wrong. So, the, you know, and sometimes the facts suggest that I'm wrong, which is a very upsetting position to be in. But in general, <laughs> but in general, the, the, you know, the best thing about it is that you're dealing with people who are incredibly, incredibly smart and they know loads of stuff. And so, you know, there are things that I'm curious about. There are things they're curious about and yes to some degree you want you want prior to the magazine you want to be able to say could i commission someone to do this could i because a lot of the stories i mean they're not stories that i could easily do you know things about mali or things about iran or things like and you're like well how who can i get to do this story and you know i've commissioned in the past so you try to do it as much as possible but it isn't always possible so you're scratching the itch yourself because you're saying, oh, my God, this is fascinating. Who can we get to do this? And we can find out about it when the when the, the draft comes in, you get to read it, you get to edit it, you get to learn stuff about it. One aspect. Yeah. The other aspect is maybe it's more complicated because in a sense, I think when we started it, to some degree, we are starting it blind. We were wondering whether this idea of long form essays about the Middle East, long form reportage, is something that is something that people want in an age of social media, in an age of you know short uh, short bursts of information, TikTok and so on. Yeah, um, it feels like this should have. This is like a two thousand nine website. The idea is like a two thousand nine website. I love it in twenty twenty two, but like it was in vogue in 20, 2009. Maybe even earlier. I know what you're talking about. Like these kind of long form ideas, like Gr yeah. Grantland and uh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, look. So we weren't we weren't sure, I think, if that if it was going to get a lot of play and if people were going to read all the articles. That was a big thing. You know, we were concerned that, you know, frankly, after the first the first page or so, people would kind of give up on it, you know. Yeah. Um, but it hasn't it hasn't panned out like that at yeah. all, at all, at all, you know. So yeah. Um cool. yeah. Okay, let's get into the question. So for those of you, the listeners who are new to the outline series, we try to split it up into a sort of a before, during, and after so that we can understand the process of going from idea to implementation to reflection after sort of creation. So let's enter the before section. So um, just give us an idea of what were you doing before this? I, I read your bio, but just in general, <laughs> before you started this, what were you kind of up to? So we started it... Um almost two years ago, um, I was actually, I was working on another media startup that I don't care to name um, at the time. But, <laughs> but what, I was, what I was really doing was, because it's two years ago, Mike, what, mm -hmm. what I was really doing was trying to figure out like lockdown. Because we were, you know, th th this, this pandemic had happened so rapidly that a lot of the plans that we had were kind of thrown out the window. You know, suddenly you couldn't do the things that you wanted to do. Uh, and I actually, at the time, this is rather, rather stereotypical. I actually started a podcast. Now you know, you know that the running joke is that what did what did men do during uh, during lockdown? They either started a podcast or they got into Bitcoin. And yeah. uh, I, I, history will tell whether I I did the right thing. But I got into the podcast thing. Perhaps I should have got into Bitcoin. And the worst of them started podcasts about Bitcoin. Oh my God! Yeah, <laughs> I didn't quite go that far. So I was doing that, and actually, um, the podcast, to be honest, had a lot of overlap because the logic of the podcast was to have very long-form conversations, a bit like the one we're having now, but on on like very serious topics. Um, like we had the the Iraqi 
uh, intellectual Sinan Antun, and he we had a very long interview with him, like very detailed about his work and his novels, and and that's something that we I haven't seen, and I'd seen it in other places with other politics, like I'd seen it with the politics, of, of course, with the Middle East, uh, with um, Britain or with America, but I hadn't seen it. Uh, on the Middle East. And that was something yeah. that I was really kind of interested in. So that was kind of the background to it. Um, but then it really started in earnest, like in the summer of that year. And then um, we were building a team in September. Um, yeah, I mean, that, some of that I think we, we should get into because that's the kind yeah. of the process of it because we're building a team across um, across yeah. uh, multiple cities and countries at the same time. So we'll get into that, but that's, that is cool. definitely part of the process, yeah. So I, I think names are really important. So I love asking about what what was the first version of the name of, of New Lines was, and when did you sort of arrive at New Lines? Um, we arrived at New Lines. There were multiple. I, I should have I should have looked it up. There were a, we had a bunch of names. I mean, we were pretty keen that the name would reflect our ambition to do kind of global affairs. So we want, but we also wanted something that gave an indication that we intended to. Um, push the envelope to some degree. So I, I'm not exactly sure where when New Lines came up, but I do know that the original idea, the original name was New Lines Review, uh, which is something that not many people know. Uh, and actually, it was New Lines Review for quite a while. Like we bought the the websites and we were working on the logo and so on. Um, and that was mainly because you know I'm, I'm I'm a huge fan of the London Review of Books. Other people have you know like the New York Review of Books and so on. And we wanted it to be very much in that in that mindset of, of intellectualism, of long form, of being serious like that. Yeah. I think in the end, the reason we didn't go with it, uh, somebody, one of the editors, pointed out to me that you know this is this is something that if you call it New Lines Review, you're really limiting the scope of it. Um, yeah. So magazines seemed like a safer bet. So yeah, I think that's that's where we ended up. In it. What it, was it the... was quite late. It was quite late in the day. Yeah. Yeah. There must have been some sort of thought process around not having a hint about um, not including some hint about the fact that you were concerned with the Middle East. Yes, in the absolutely. Name. Absolutely. Yeah. Why, that, why that, that, that choice? Was, um, that was very deliberate because, you know, we were not we were trying to tell this story, we're still trying to tell the story better. We're not limited to the Middle East. Of course, you know, you see the tagline, the Middle East and beyond. So we're not limited to it. Um, but we definitely were focused on it in the beginning. We didn't want to give the impression, even to people whom I joined the team, that in some way we were trying to Islam splain, you know, that we were trying yeah. to be pro-Arab, pro-Middle East like this. We weren't doing that. We are an American global affairs publication. And it was very important because we, the other part of it is that the other part that we were quite concerned about is this idea that the legacy media would sideline you. Because that is something that definitely happens when you talk about particular regions of the world and regions of the world that, you know, let be, let's be frank, have a lot of politics attached to them. There is a tendency to push you to the edge of, of the conversation and say, mm -hmm. well, we are here in the middle having this conversation about America and you guys are, what is this thing you're talking about? We were, you know, yeah. and we, we, were, we wanted very consciously, I'm glad you raised it, that we wanted very consciously not to be in that space. So yeah, yeah. Mm. that's good. Okay. Well noticed. Yeah, so um, what was the moment where you sort of looked in the mirror and you said, like, are we really doing this? Like, uh, like when did this actually start? We're like, wow, we're actually starting this project, um, not a different one. This is precisely what we're doing. 
Um, what was that moment? Point of no return. I think, so. yeah, well, the, the, the point of no, I mean, the point of no return was pretty early on, I think. Once you start hiring people and committing to paying them and having contracts or that. But I think you're, you're asking a more figurative, metaphorical question, mm -hmm. which is really about, I think if you ask some of the other editors, I mean, people still say this, which is very nice. It's one of the things that is great about working with such a clever team that, you, that I think a lot of people are excited to do it genuinely. Like as I was saying about the ideas, you know, they're yeah. excited to be able to, to talk about these ideas, to think about these ideas, to commission on these ideas and so on. So I think there's a lot of excitement then. So sometimes I guess week to week, you think, God, we're really doing this. We're really in yeah. that kind of position, you know? Um, and so I think that, I wouldn't, I, I want to give you an, a different answer though, because that I think is the answer um, that perhaps might be expected. I want to give you something specific. I, I would say, again, different people have different reactions. I would say for me, one of the pivotal moments came probably about a year ago. So we commissioned the story about uh, Afghanistan and it was about the, the way that the Taliban were governing, this is before the takeover, uh, how they were governing on the outskirts of Kabul in the, in the villages. And when the takeover happened, it became obvious that that was a surprisingly prescient perspective that we had put forward, that it was, it was clear from that article that the idea that the Taliban were defeated and they were going to have to go into the shadows was completely mistaken. So for me, the ability to, to, to publish that beforehand, I think was something that made me feel like, okay, this work actually does, it does matter, yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so, okay, this is related to this idea of like, did, did somebody have to do it or did you guys have to? So, so uh, easier way of thinking about this question um, was, if another party started, uh, you know, through lines media, right? Through lines. Yeah. yeah. Right. Started through lines media. Um, you had no idea and you respected everyone on the team. And they started like two months before you or four months before you And they were doing exactly, you know, they were, instead of the Middle East and beyond, they were doing <laughs> Southwest Asia and beyond. Yeah. 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 Iran and right? beyond. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah, the greater Levant. Yeah. Some Look, bizarro. Yeah. Would you just say like, okay, well, I, this is good. I can do something well, else now. The, the first thing to say, because you've put up on the slide, I can see you've put yeah. up this, this excellent essay Rachel Haas wrote about her cat going missing in a war. It's a brilliant essay, really very indicative, side note, really very indicative of the kind of work that we, we wanted to do and you just simply don't see anywhere else. Go and read that, those of you on the, on the call, uh, those of you yeah. watching on YouTube later. Um, go and watch and read that article because it, it that essay because it tells you a great deal about the kind of work that is simply not put forward in mm -hmm. legacy publications and that is absolutely could fit in those spaces and but yeah. you know people hadn't done it. Um, the joke, of course, because <laughs> the New Lines team, not myself, but the New Lines team is very cat focused. There are a lot of cats, uh, so the the publication that they would create, of course, would be called. Mew lines, right? It's from, Mew lines, of yeah. course, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> People are already putting comments on the YouTube. Exactly. <laughs> um, honestly, Mikey, nothing would give me greater pleasure than that. Like the best, I don't, I don't want to see just one of these publications. I want to see mm. a plethora of them. I want to see yeah. people on this call. Nothing would give me greater pleasure than if in six months you said to me, oh man, have you seen that they've created this publication and the person says that they explicitly saw, saw us talking on our fikra and they've yeah. decided to do it. That is absolutely what I want. 
because I yeah. don't the the version of new lines that that we are creating is entirely different to the version of new lines or whatever else through yeah. lines that someone else would create. And that's the beauty of it. You don't just want to have um, uh, one publication. You want, I was going to say you want a thousand flowers to bloom, but some people remember how that, yeah. that phrase and that history ended. But you want, you want to have multiple versions of the story told because we have blind spots. Definitely we have blind spots and we, and, and we have topics that we don't cover in depth and we want people to go and do it. So absolutely, of course, we want to do it as well as we can with as many resources as we can, as big as we can. Yeah. But I definitely, cool. definitely want other people to be involved. Yeah, to do other things. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, great. And the, the people listening on the podcast, the article that Faisal is talking about is called The Day My Wartime Cat Went Missing. Um, yeah. Okay, so let's talk, before we get into the during thing, um, the question usually we ask is in one sentence, what is the project? Um, and you know, what's the problem that you're trying to solve? I'm going to adjust this a little bit. Mm, um, okay. If you remove the regional focus, um, what is the other publication that is sort of the gold standard in your mind um, for what you're trying to do? For what we're trying to do? Yeah. But like, is it like, Basically, we want to do the Atlantic, but with more of a focus on the Middle East. Or basically, what we want to do is New York Magazine, but with a focus on the Middle East. Or basically, what we want to do is London Review of Books, but with a focus on the Middle East. Is there one that you're saying, like, that's it? Okay. That's the well, gold standard. I don't, okay. I mean, you're asking me to say which of our competitors we want to be like. You can imagine that that is not, that that's not the kind of thing we want to put out there. However, the three publications you yeah. named are all publications that we follow and uh, they follow us. Yeah. And uh, we, um, you know, we, we absolutely look at the work they're doing and have historically looked at the work they're doing and said, that is something we want to emulate. Absolutely. All three of those publications and others as well. But yeah, I, I don't know that I don't know that it's easy to pick one publication because there are so many things, you know, we're also doing, as you know, we're also doing podcasts, we're doing newsletters and not all of the publications you mentioned are doing that. The New York Times, for example, does do newsletters extremely well. New Statesman does podcasting very well. So we're kind of, we're taking little, like, obviously, because it's such a big team now, it's natural that there are going to be people on the team um, that have favorites and they're going to look at things and say, well, we want to sure. kind of, you know, follow along with that, or they're doing that really well. That's what you want, right? You want, you yeah. want other really good people to kind of make you better. So. Cool. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, okay. Let's get into the during. So like you started, you started the magazine. Um, what were, who were some of the early believers and team members who shaped the project earlier on once, it, once, you know, the domain name is bought, the logo is designed. Um, I mean, you see them. You see them all on the site. Like, luckily, we've had people. This is this is this question is a little bit like it's a little bit like the question about which publications mm -hmm. you like because inevitably, when you start to say names, you um, you know you're going to miss out some. And we, we you know we have quite a lot of sure. staff, so I don't miss anybody out. But but you can say very clearly that the New Lines would not exist in its current form without Hassan, without Allah, without Kareem, without Rasha, without Lydia, without all of these people, it would not be the same publication. There's no doubt about that. And I can't stress enough, because you have to think of it like, at least I think of it like this, this is a journey. And it's a journey on which every person is contributing something and changing as we go through it. 
So there yeah. are people who have pushed certain ideas that maybe, you know, some of the team were reticent about. But in the end, we said, actually, that sounds fantastic. So every person does it. And um, I mean, I'm slightly singing, <laughs> slightly singing our praises, but but it's important to say that, you know, the, the way that the publication is put together is a team effort. We were just nominated for a bunch of awards. Yeah. Singing praises. But we were nominated for awards in multiple categories. So we were nominated for the podcast, for in the, the Webbies. We had a writer nominated for the Orwell. And it was for a bunch of different aspects of the magazine. Yeah. And, you know, there are different, of course, everybody contributes to everything but there are different people who have really led parts of it. So we were up for a design award. That was very much Ola, the managing editor, who was kind of pushing the design. You see how, what a clean design it is. That was very much her thing. The Afghan coverage, again, we were up for an award for the Afghan coverage, Fazal Minallah, our Afghan guy. Um, you know, he, it's, it's him who does it. Um, yeah. The podcast, I mean, I guess I'm part of it as well, but, but the podcast team is very much part of it. You know, so... You can't easily single people. And also, I think it's important to say, we are still at the early stage, Mikey. We're really yeah. still at a very early stage because everybody's, we're still trying to shape this thing. We haven't quite worked out how to shape it. So, yeah. Mm. Okay. Since you're on a, since you're singing your praises, let's talk about some yeah. of your failures. Okay. Um, what tell have me. been some of your, yeah. No, you tell me what have been some of the most instructive failures over the course of the last two years. I thought you were going to say, these are the things that I don't think you do very well. So tell me, what, no. do, what do you think the failures are? No, no, they have to be instructive. So what, for you, what has been so most instructive over the last two years? We're like, ah, we got that wrong, but I learned a ton. Uh, we got a lot wrong, obviously. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think which story. Well, I'll I'll, look, I'll tell you one we got wrong. Yeah. Um, we got the name wrong. We got the name wrong. When we, we, yeah, when we first created it, we, I think we, <laughs> we didn't think that people would refer, we thought it was called new lines and it was very clear new lines. And then people started to refer to it as news lines. Um, and that was very common. And there actually is a Twitter handle news lines. People refer to it now. If you look on the website, you know you see that we we have this slash new slash lines. Yeah. People refer to it as that. Um, so I think, in retrospect, we didn't perhaps we didn't think carefully enough about how the design features would be interpreted, um, and it has been frustrating to constantly be referred to as new lines. Um, yeah. So there, there's an okay. instructive failure, but I, I await more critique from you. I don't really mean failure in terms of the output. I, I'm really thinking about sort of the process of like building a team, thinking through, I don't know, like, let me, let me rephrase this question. If you were advising yourself two years ago um, and not on like actual output, not on anything I would see as a viewer, or as a consumer, mm. but what were some of the things that you're like, oh, you know, like I, uh, I had never done this before and that was tricky and ooh, this was really, really complicated the, w the way to do this and we should have structured this differently. Um, what were moments where you turned left and you realized yeah. you should have turned right and you had to go do a big U-turn? We, we would have had a longer run-up, I think, definitely. Yeah. Um, we would have asked for more help. I think there was definitely an element of us feeling we wanted to, to show 
for, with the initial essays that look, this is something that that we've been thinking about for a long time. It's kind of come to you fully formed. I think perhaps we didn't fully realize how many people out there supported it, supported the idea of it, and wanted it. So yeah. perhaps I think you could have you could imagine a scenario where somebody was creating it, some something similar, and they could announce it in advance. And I think a lot of people would come forward and give them advice and opinions and offer essays and stuff. So yeah, I think that was that perhaps yeah. we should have done more. But it's you know it's easy with hindsight to to say we wanted to do that for sure. But anyway, that's what I would have done. Yeah, that's what I would have done. Yeah. Okay, just uh, just to piggyback on that, I have a question about how do you start a magazine? Like, do you have to like register somewhere? Like, what does it even mean? Like, do you just make? <laughs> because because you're not printing a, a physical copy, right? No, we're not. Um, Is it? Is there anything functionally or officially different than creating a magazine and creating a blog? You know what it's like? It's like having a child. People say that when you have, when you have a child, you leave the hospital and they just give it to you and you leave the hospital yeah, but, and you're like, now what? You know? Yeah. And, and it's the same kind of thing in a way, like you just, it just happens. You put but do you it have out, to register it somewhere? I mean, like, no, where, where do you register it? I mean, I mean that's the, that's a question. Like, is it the same as just buying the domain name and saying, okay, we, yeah. we have a magazine now? It's a magazine, yeah. I mean, it, so funny. It, you, you, it wouldn't be any different because, of course, you don't register. I mean, media doesn't register. There are some countries where that happens, obviously, especially in our <laughs> part of the world, but it doesn't happen in, I mean, in the West. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think some of that, thinking back about it, some of it is also that you, you get a little bit concerned about it because you're right i mean you're just putting yeah. this stuff out into the ether and particularly because you were you're thinking about uh, how people might respond on social media um yeah. there was a part of us that was mainly that was worried of course that we would just be completely ignored that it would just yeah. go and you know wouldn't go anywhere um so yeah th there is that aspect of it we just like so we just put it out there and that's it you know, yeah. and actually that's what happens is that people are already familiar with this idea of the public square being of people involving themselves in the public square without too much uh, apparatus or the need to have anything uh, official um, yeah. to, to kind of sidetrack from it. But I mean, this is kind of possibly going to be the problem if, for example, Twitter changes where you need to register if you need to register um, to be to have a Twitter account, then the chances are that people will be afraid yeah. of putting their voices into the public sphere because they're worried about the repercussions. So there are downsides to it, actually. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about some editorial questions, right? Okay. So, um, obviously, from the from the jump, you mentioned you you're not trying to tell the real hashtag underscore hashtag. under <laughs> italics real italics, story. The real the, story, yeah, exactly. right. You're not trying mm. to do that. So yeah. um, behind the hijab, that kind of yeah, story. behind the uh, the story that the West won't tell you, that type of stuff. Um, so that's not what you're trying to do. But no, how are you choosing your stories? Who how have you thought through who your readers are and who your audience is and how are you striking the right tone? Um, so give yeah. us a pull back the curtain a little bit. On yeah. That. Well, um, how are we choosing the stories? Um, we, we've tried we, we've tried to replicate a newsroom. So you have a lot of people, we have a, you know, we have news meetings, people throw around ideas, um, we, we think about those ideas, we work on them, people go off and commission them and so on. Um, how do we choose them? We choose them if they are based, if they are interesting, if they're nice stories, um, if they're things that we don't know something about, um, you know, 
all anything that is interesting, we are interested in. I mean, I said this, for example, I said this on Twitter. I said the thing, this was in the lead up to the to the Afikra thing. I said that the thing that editors really dislike is people saying, oh, I've got a story. Uh, I've got a story that, that I've got a story. And then tell they tell you something about it. And they say, is this something that you'd be interested in? The yeah. problem with that is it is the job of the journalist to tell us what is interesting about the story. Yeah. So if you simply say, like here, you put up on the slide, the Algerians, if you said, that's an excellent story, I'll come to it in a second. But if you, if you put up, hey, we, are you, there's something about Algeria, would you be interested? You're like, well, tell me what about Algeria, and then I'll answer. Yeah, so tell I, me why I, I'm interested. Exactly. The role of the journalist is to come to you with a story that you haven't heard before and explain it to you like that. So yeah. no, we're interested in anything, um, so, anything and everything. But let's uh, sort of add a little more meat to that. So... Mm. Um, are there sort of dotted lines in terms of region that you focus on? Um, it, does it have to be um, contemporary stories? Um, are there, what is the sort of ratio of uh, full-time journalists who are writing stories and sort of versus ones commissioned by people who don't work full-time? Um, so we have... Yeah, we, I mean, we have contributing editors who are not full-time, yeah. And mm -hmm. so, I mean, the, the situation now is rather different to the situation at the beginning because now we have quite a wide network. So we get, we have internal pitches. We, have, we come up with things like we're just talking among ourselves, like you and I are talking. We say, oh, wouldn't it really be interesting to do something about, you know, the Algerians of New Caledonia? Who could write about that? So that's one way. Then sometimes people come to us with ideas. People suggest other people that say you should look at this person. Um, there might something might happen in the news that we might look for. People pitch stories to us now. Um, people pitch unsolicited submissions as well, which is a whole other thing, uh, which we might get into because I think probably some yeah. of the participants will be interested in that. So there's there's a whole way that we. I mean, there's there are multiple strands coming in, and even now, you know, even now with the, for example, with the podcast now, which has become, you know, reasonably reasonably important in terms of the way that it fits into the public conversation we now have people coming to us saying listen we've got like publishing houses will say we've got this book coming up this is very much in your wheelhouse would you be interested in interviewing somebody sure. uh, writers will write to us and say you know really like the interview you did for example with example with eugene rogan would you be interested in doing a follow-up like that so the difficulty at this stage is the difficulty at this stage really is to try not to rest on our laurels because we have so much material coming through that actually sometimes it's easy to just deal with the material that's coming through and not go out and find new material and new authors and so on and so yeah. on. So, and it's very important that you that you don't stop doing that um, because equally, you know, we we all have areas of of expertise. You know, there are parts of most of the people on the team were journalists. And so a lot of them were in the Middle East and they have areas they're experts on Turkey. Yeah. I was in Syria, Egypt, like that, Iraq and places like that. So these are things that are kind of very much in our, in our mind where we have friends on the ground, they tell us things and so on. We need external contributors because we need people to come to us with ideas from regions we haven't heard about. The Algerians of New Caledonia, which you've put up, perfect example of this, the kind of story that came to us, I, I, the, the guy just pitched it and it was something that, you know, very few people were aware of, which is why it was such an interesting story. Yeah. Before I get on to the next question, so uh, Faisal, it's so funny, like, I feel like you're talking about New Lines and you as so into, uh, un, um, uh, 
like inseparable, right? Yeah. So I'm yeah. curious about you yourself. Um, what are some of the things that, what are the, some of the muscles, your internal muscles that you feel like are the weakest when it comes to your role in the, in the, in the company, right? And, and what are some of the things that you yourself have sort of like improved on the most, right? Is it, are you like, what are the things that I'm not, design no. I'm not great at, right? But, um, but I've got like, I've gotten much, much better like at this specific thing. I'm so curious. What am I terrible at, you're saying? What are you terrible? <laughs> the same thing. I mean, listen, you asked about the magazine. What's terrible about the magazine? I said, tell me, give me some criticism. You don't want to give me criticism. Okay, give me criticism about myself. You don't want to give criticism. <laughs> well, what kind of Scientology event is this where you have to, not, where you, yeah, yeah. you're asking me to kind of tell on myself? Um, what am I bad at? So many things, so many things. That's always the right answer. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll tell you what I am bad at by reference to what um, some of the others, Hassan, Kareem, Rasha, are really mm -hmm. good at, cool. which is they are really good at working with people to pull out a story that wasn't there. We get a lot of pitches and even, frankly, some, some stories. We had a draft very recently that just needed a lot of work. And... Is this going up on YouTube so people can talk about this in the future? Yeah, it's true. Right. Um, not everybody is, is great at going into a story and really moving it around and working on it. And, and that, to be honest, is not one of my strengths. I find that I'm much better with the ideas part of it. And I'm perhaps less good at working through the story. Like the stories are long, you know, 4,000 words. I'm not perhaps the best at working through it, rearranging it, moving it around yeah, sure. three, four, five, six drafts, that kind of thing. Once you get beyond draft three, I start to feel like, is there someone I can give this to? Because there are other people who are just much better at it than I am in truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's true. Um, are there stories, so I want to talk to you about sort of how you, how internally you guys deal with the haters online and criticism yeah. and stuff like that, but also uh, tie into that. Are there stories that you absolutely wouldn't publish? Uh, yes, but it is not. It is not the stories that that people think. So the the part that I the, the part that I always that I really wanted to get to because I think actually this might come up in the questions because this is something that we thought. Let, let's talk about this as a little chunk for a second because this is something that people say to us all the time. Anytime I have a conversation with people like in, in real life, in, in the real world, but also online, this is something that comes up because the Middle East is bisected by these, these lines, you know? And you know what those lines are, the role of Iran, Israel, Palestine, the Gulf, Qatar, UAE, Saudi, da, 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 da. And these topics, they completely dominate the public conversation. And so when a new publication comes along, or even when people just, you know, just see you talking, they want to know which side of the divide you are on. Now, the genius, as the comedian Bill Burr says, the genius is to offend everybody. That's the genius of it. The way to do it is to go in with the mindset that you, so people, I, I love it when people, you, you have to go explicitly and try to, to slay um, the sacred cows. So people think you are pro-Saudi, you write something critical of Saudi. They think you are pro-Israel, you write something critical of Israel. They think you're pro-Palestine, you attack Abu Mazen. You, they think you are pro-Muqawama, you attack Hezbollah, like this. And we've done all of those things. 
And so when you do something like that, what happens is that people don't, then you are then allowed the space to just be a publication, but you have to, you have to explicitly tackle it. Okay, so I have a question. Mm. Because um, if that's the if that's the modus operandi, where yeah. they think you're this, so you go do this. They think you're that, and that's the inverse of them also controlling the stories you publish. Because by them telling you you're not something, you go and you do the opposite, right? So, like in some way, they're also dictating, or is it, no, or is it you're just doing whatever you want? No, no, that's a reasonable critique. Yeah. But the difference is the people I was talking about. You're right to raise it, but the people I'm talking about are not trolls. Okay. I'm not, we'll talk about the trolls in one second, because that is very interesting and how you deal with it. And that's something we've had a lot of internal conversations about. But I'm not talking about trolls. I'm talking about people like even people who are just listening to this. They genuinely want to know because so much of the media that deals with the Middle East and deals with other regions does have an agenda. It sure. is pro Muqawama, it is pro Saudi, it is pro Gulf, it is this, it is that. So it is natural for them to kind of listen like, you know, with 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 their eyes kind of slightly like looking at you side on, like, is this guy trying to say this or is he trying to say that? Because that yeah. is that is unfortunately how our, you know, when you have a region that is so governed by politics, that is natural. So people are going to want. So in a way, even though I even though it comes across maybe as me trying to answer those people, I'm not really I'm actually just trying to give them like something to think about. And in a nice yeah. way, I'm trying to show them, look, I understand that you think that I'm this or that we're this, but we're not this. We're really not. Do you, is the idea that like New Line is supposed to be a forum for debating ideas? This is supposed to be where conflicting ideas battle each other out and the most intellectually rigorous one wins, but all sides are uh, represented? Or are you just like, no, that idea of all sides, no. We uh, yeah, we yeah. internally we uh, we battle it out in the editorial in the sort of in in our room and then we come out and say we've thought it through this is our is, this is our perspective. There is no doubt that we have a particular perspective, like a collective perspective. It's not hard mm. to see that you know um, we we had a, a you know we had a we had a piece um, uh, for example about Johnny Depp, which very much kind of framed where we were as a publication. We're not afraid to take sides on topics. And I think this is a like an older belief of mine. That predates that's, in the, that's in the beyond section, right? <laughs> that's exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, that's not in the Middle East section. That's in the not in the Middle East section. Yeah, no, I, I mean, actually that that wasn't, but because it was mainly about the Arab reaction to, but yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the when you think about the, uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought. What were we talking about? We were talking about um, uh, having a distinct perspective, and oh yeah. Know what, yeah, when when you think about what the politics of the magazine are, I don't think you could easily pigeonhole it. But equally, I don't think you would say it is a forum. It isn't. It isn't some Roman forum where people are just putting forward everything. It, it absolutely is not like that. There is, mm. as I was saying, that I, I have a long-standing belief that magazines and TV stations, most journalism, is governed by politics. That you cannot have a successful publication that does not have a political perspective. And we absolutely have a political perspective, but it is a very wide one. It is not it is not the narrow lines that people think about when it comes to the Middle East. This is part of the project of it, that people think about the Middle East as being governed by these very tiny lines. Are you Sunni? Are you Shia? Are you Qatar? Are you the... 
this is ridiculous. It's, it isn't the way people think about it. Even in the US, people are not Democrat, Republican. They're not Trump, Biden. They are many things and we are many things. We are, we are a magazine of many, many parts. Mm. Okay, let's keep on going. Okay. Um, let's just, add, I just have some sort of boring questions. How many stories do you publish uh, a week? How do you actually go through the process of doing this? Uh, and is the current process what you think the process will be for the next year to come? Or do you see it sort of shape-shifting? Well, actually, we are actually arguing in teams right at the moment about the process. So it is a yeah. constant and ongoing attempt to, you know, to make things work. We are, because we are expanding, um, when you, you know, we've just taken on two fellows from Columbia for the summer. When you bring new people on, like at the beginning, we were talking about working with people that we knew personally. A lot of these people were friends. And so we kind of had a sense of how to work with them. As you expand, you have to structure it more. So we publish, uh, it, it should be five. It's usually slightly more between, yeah, maybe up to seven essays. And then we have another three newsletters and we have a podcast. So that's a lot of it's not a huge amount compared to the New York Times, but for a relatively small team, it is quite a lot of product that's put out week. there. That's per week. Every week, we have never missed a podcast. We've never missed a newsletter. We've never missed a publication date ever. And we're very proud of that fact. Um, that is through you know all of the upheavals that happened with news stories, with Afghanistan, sure. uh, with Ukraine, never missed them. And certainly over Ukraine, we've published much more. So... Um, we have a system, we have, we have backend systems, you know, people have to know what they are doing, but sure. we, we think of it like this. Um, and this may be, if people are thinking about doing something similar, they want a bit of advice. A good way to think about it is to think about it in terms of values over process. And that sounds like, you know, sounds like the kind of thing you'd pay to, a seminar to understand. <laughs> but what it really means is that you want people to have a certain degree of ownership over it. You know, you sure. want people not to feel like I'm doing my job and then I'm going to finish at five o'clock and that's the end of my day. Don't bother me. You want people to kind of stay on top of it and be like, hey, what happened with that? Hey, did you see that thing in the news? Maybe we should change this. And that's very much, I think, one of the things that makes the magazine work is that a, a lot of the people on the team are like that. They are genuinely interested in this stuff. They're following social media. They're following the stories. And then if something changes, they're like, you know what? Someone has said something about this. We need to make a change like that. So it's very, very important, I would say, in the, the new world of working remotely, and certainly in the new world of trying to build a team and have ideas across time zones, it's very, very important that you focus on the values aspect, that people feel they are part of a team. Otherwise, I don't think it can work. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about some of the reflections. Obviously, there's no real after when you start a publication like this because there's yeah. just a curve. Oh, there's only still. There's only still, still but yeah. you can reflect. And so let's start talking about, given the two years track record you guys have at this point, right? So okay. a lot of water has flowed through the pipes. Mm -hmm. um, how are you striking the right tone for various audiences going forward? As your audience, I would imagine, is... Uh, increasing you know you're bringing in a bunch of johnny depp uh fans and well hate, haters if, if you read the piece haters, yeah, they're right? haters definitely um so um <laughs> how do you continue to strike the right balance the right tone it, so yeah so it is that part is a it's a constant conversation and it's a constant let, let's think about it like this it's a constant conversation based on 
um, each story. Because here's the thing, Mikey. When I say to you that there are all these lines, you know, Qatar, Muqawama, Israel, Palestine, you know what I'm talking about. Most of the of the participants and the people watching this know what I'm talking about because yeah. they have a sense of how the Middle East fits together. But we are an American publication, and that means that it doesn't, it's not always going to be the case that the things that perhaps we are familiar with that an American audience is going to be familiar with. So there is a constant... Uh, there's constant thinking about how do we ensure that the stories are readable and that we are giving people sufficient information without like dumbing it down, you know, without saying, you know, there is a country, it is called Lebanon. You, yeah. you have to strike that balance. And I think in some ways, maybe more general publications like The Guardian or The New York Times, maybe they have it a little bit easier because they are starting from such a wide base that they kind of explain everything. Whereas what we are trying to do in some instances is drill quite deeply into the story, you know? Yeah. And you sometimes, look, sometimes you can't do that. Um, we did something about Sabah Fakhri, the Syrian singer who died. And there wasn't, there isn't, uh, we, we were very proud of that piece because it was very different to the one that the New York Times did, for example, which was very much like, you know, there is a Syrian singer this is his name, you know, and they, they didn't go into the detail of the like the the kind of cultural milieu that he yeah. was raised in, things like that. Okay, so we did. I have a question about this, right? Okay. Um, so a, a couple of times you've mentioned we are an American publication, right? Yes. What does that mean? What do you mean by that? It means that we see ourselves as being part of the American media landscape and engaged in the arguments uh, and the culture of the American media landscape. That's what it okay. means. It means. I don't know. That- I also don't know what that means. So let's let me. I'll, I'll be a little more specific. Okay. I'll give you. I'll give you a multiple choice. Does it mean that it, that we're largely speaking to the American public, right? Uh, does it mean that we are trying to understand the Middle East through a uh, from the vantage point of being uh, in the U.S. and having. Uh, and understanding the death of Sabah Fakhri from the from being in Brooklyn um, and having ex- extensive understanding of who this person was, does it mean that we care about the Middle East because it uh, American policymakers need to know about this, and so we're trying to educate the you know the um, literati of America, you know, like, yeah, what yeah, does it mean yeah. exactly? Or does it mean that we just are registered in the U.S. and we are, the IRS knows our numbers? <laughs> Frankly, well, <laughs> put it like this. The IRS now knows our numbers. Homeland Security used to know our numbers, though. You know. Sure, no, that's, that's um, a better deal. <laughs> I'm not sure we've moved in the right direction. It means some of those things. Okay. What okay. it definitely means is that we, we, do, we don't think of ourselves as as a Middle Eastern publication explaining itself to the Americans. It doesn't mean that. We are not. Um, We are absolutely rooted in the Western Anglo-American world. We come with the same, we we come with the same mindset. We we approach the Middle East in the same way that we would approach another story, a story about Arkansas or a story about Birmingham in the exact same way. Um, we don't approach it from the perspective of saying, how can, we, how can we explain this to an American audience? No, we're not trying to explain it. We are in that media landscape and we are reporting on the Middle East from within that media landscape. And that's very important. Mm-hmm. The other aspect of it, which perhaps 
I don't know how if everybody feels this, but I think I think there is a wider question about how you how you educate not an audience, but how you educate a political elite that has repeatedly made decisions that have gone against what the interests of the American and the British publics would be. I think that is a way to say it. So the way I think of it is, you know, the majority of people were not in favor of the catastrophe that was Iraq. They were not in favor of it, but a certain group of people were. Now, some of them were ideologues, but a wider group of those people simply lacked the information. One of the things, we're almost at the end, this isn't going to turn into an anti-Iraq war. Everybody knows my feelings on it. But one of the things that most frustrates me about Tony Blair has this line, you remember former British Prime Minister Tony Blair, former British Prime Minister and future war criminal. Um, He has this line where he says one of the things that I that he criticizes himself for is that he didn't know enough about Iraq, like about the the sectarianism, about what under about the politics before they went in. My point is very straightforward. What the hell are you doing invading a country if you don't know these things? So to some degree, we are trying to provide information for the wider public to understand the region so that on some level, this isn't a primary motivation, but so that on some level, these disasters don't default the American people and the British public and, of course, the Iraqis in the way that it did. So the idea is that um, the current media landscape, the Atlantic and NPR and New York Times and all these different places, um, for one reason or another, failed to do the educating that was necessary for the voting public um, to know, and that's that's the 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 role. And and in that way, it's not, it's not this a is role. American, yeah, it's not a role. Publication. It's, it's yeah. not a role because I, I want to I want to be very clear that I don't give the impression that there is that that we come with that political agenda. We do not. But those public, because those publications do not have a political agenda, they all yeah. have political agendas, but you know, broadly speaking, they don't have a specific political agenda. They're not trying to influence the Democrats in one way, the Republicans in another way like that. Yeah. But they did not do their jobs properly. That is fundamentally the problem, that in the 20 years since Iraq, the way of reporting on the region has not changed that is one of the things that is both so gratifying about the social media praise that we get and about people saying, oh, we're wonderful, we like this story, we're so pleased that you're doing it. That is immensely gratifying. At the same time, it is immensely frustrating. It's been 20 years since Iraq. These publications have had multiple opportunities to think about the region in a different way, to think about the region in the way they think about their own countries, and they haven't taken it. And it is, yeah. it is, it, it's meant that we have had to do this in order to demonstrate, you know, that it can be done and how easily it can be done. And we think that we see the benefit, we think that we see the result of that in the fact that a lot of these legacy publications seem to publish the very same story a few weeks later. Three weeks is the current internal joke, that three weeks after we publish something, you know, it pops up in one of these legacy publications. Okay, let's do the quick Q&A, then we have a question from the audience. Okay, so real quick, what are you reading or watching right now? Maybe that's a, that's a bad question to ask somebody who works in a magazine. So what are well, you watching I'm, right now? What am I watching? That, that's a better one. What am I watching right now? Um, what am I watching? So I'm watching, uh, I'm, I'm re-watching is the honest answer, because I, I'm always very late to these things, yeah. always. And I try, I try to stay abreast of what is happening 
like in the in popular culture, because I think it's really important to stay attuned to what things are happening. Um, so I don't, even though the magazine, you know, the magazine is fairly intellectual, I'm not shutting myself off from it. So um, the one I've just, so I'm re-watching um, Breaking Bad because I haven't, I haven't watched the new Better Call Saul. So I need sure. to kind of get all the way through that before it starts up again. So we're doing that. Um, and I've started watching uh, Top Boy, which is this, uh, this oh, yeah, British. Of yeah, 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 yeah. So cool. I've got, I have a friend who's really, really into it. And he's like, you've got to do it. Partly the way he explained it is not that it's just, it's an excellent story, but that it's also, he said, you'll really like it because there's a lot of slang. And you know, he knows that I like kind of linguistic things like that. So yeah, that's what okay. I'm reading. Um, who would you love to shadow for a day, past or present? Shadow for a day. I mean, so many people, so many people. Okay. What kind of a question is that? So many people. Okay, um, pick one. Okay, pick one. He, he, this is a story that I wanted to do in the early days. We haven't found it yet. I am endlessly fascinated by the period after the, the fall of the Egyptian monarchy, after the, the, the 52 revolution. So if I had to, so if I had to, and we wanted to do a story about it, though, this thing I keep mentioning in interviews where I've said, I really am trying to do a story called Packing Up the Palace. What was it like to pack up the palace after 52? And I'd yeah. love to know, any of you know, please pitch it to me, I'm waiting. Um, cool. How about if, if we say, I would love to shadow one of the courtiers like that? Yeah. How about go. that? Wouldn't that be fascinating? All right. What do people most misunderstand about your work? Oh, that, that yeah, that we are Islam-splaining, that we are okay. trying to promote a certain, certain perspective. Yeah, that's absolutely what they misunderstand, yeah. Okay, I'm going to change this question slightly. Outside of your profession, so outside of journalism, uh, who do you admire, whose work do you admire and get like inspired by um, that may surprise us? Okay, that may surprise you, because there's there's a whole bunch of things, but I'll tell you one, because we were having an argument about it, um, just, uh, what is today, Wednesday, just Monday, we were having an argument, argument, vigorous internal debate. Um, yeah. I, uh, I am endlessly admiring of and inspired by the, the, the young people on Instagram and TikTok, that endlessly fascinated by the way that they are telling stories in a new way the way they're using music and dance and games to communicate a new version of how they relate to each other across multiple countries. You guys have seen this, right? You've seen the way that they do these TikTok dances and then they kind of get picked up by people in other countries. The Chinese pick it up, the, the Iraqis pick it up like that. It's everywhere. Yeah. And I love it. I'm so admiring of the way they do it. And I don't think we give them enough praise. I think people think that it's just it's something very easy to do. It isn't at all. You're talking about telling yeah. stories in very, very short, you know, very short eight second clips. Yeah. And it's not easy. I've been trying to work on my choreography this entire week. It's been hard. I can, I... We're, we are all waiting to see you do <laughs> my money doesn't jiggle, jiggle, it folds. We're waiting to see that, Mikey. When okay. is it coming? Please. It's a it's a uh, appointment viewing. Um, okay, let's do some uh, questions. We have two questions from Farah and she asked me to uh, read them. So the first one is uh, the money question. How do you fund an online publication without it affecting your creative control or perspective? You, excellent question. Um, you, find, um, you, you find an institute as we did and a backer who is willing to do, to run with the project without interfering. That's the simple question. The, 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 the other answer, which I will, I will say for those people who are thinking about doing something similar is there are actually 
as I said before, there are lots of people who are interested in doing things like this and they will fund it. But the way you do it is you say publicly what you are doing and people will find you. I, I really believe that. I've been amazed by that, actually, by the number of people who've come forward and said, hey, you know, if we'd known, we'd be willing to support you. So, yeah. Um, the other question is, how do you deal with New Line stories being repackaged in legacy publications three weeks later? How do you sort of like emotionally deal with it? Are you pissed off about it? Are you uh, tickled by it? Uh, are you talking about Danny Hajar? Is that is that where it's come from? Because that was the that was the the criticism that been raging on social media. Although that was, <laughs> but I was like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Um, although that wasn't in our publication. But so tell us what the uh, give uh, us the listeners some backstory. See, I said it like I really knew. But basically, Danny Hajar, um, who's a very well known, what does he call himself? Curator of the vibes. He's a he's a very good um, music writer, and he wrote a story in. I forget which publication, but it, it was a big publication, but it wasn't a legacy publication. And then he felt that that story had been the New Arab Sisfada. Okay, there you go. And uh, I have friends of the New Arab, so shout out New Arab. Um, and then he felt that it had been lifted and put into another publication. Now, without a legacy publication, now without getting into that, that specific uh, story, when it happened in the past, and it has happened to us, I think we found it very difficult to deal with. Um, because we felt that the, the people who were doing it were sometimes, they were our peers and sometimes they were people we knew directly. And we felt that that, that wasn't the right strategy. So that, that's one thing. Now I think we've evolved to the point where mm -hmm. we just kind of laugh at it. We take it as a, you know, we take it as a compliment really. But it is a problem. Some of the issues that Danny Hajar was talking about, although I'm not saying specifically on that, that topic that they that they that the publication that took it but some of the issues that he was talking about i think is is really relevant to the way media is done that's a bigger conversation i don't think we have time for it but i do think hajar raised a lot of really interesting points about about the way the media works um, and specifically specifically about way the way it covers um stories from our region and from other regions that are not often well represented in these newsrooms there you go that's how i'll say it. cool well um if anyone wants to find uh, stuff about New Lines Online, it's easy to find you guys, newlinesmag.com. You can find everywhere on social media. Faisal, this is a lot of fun. Awesome. And it really uh, this is long overdue. So thanks for doing it. I really appreciate it. And thanks for all the work that you do. Thank you so much. Thank you all for joining us. It's really, really, really great. All right, everyone. This is going to show up on YouTube and up on our podcast tomorrow. So you can find it there. We're a minute late, but this was a lot of fun. And hopefully I get to see you soon. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, go to hafikita.com where you can learn about our Zoom events, our live events in 30 different chapters around the world, our social media presence, and our podcasts and YouTube stuff. You should know that everything we do is all towards a mission of converting passive interest in the histories and cultures of the Arab world into an active intellectual curiosity. By listening to this, you're a part of that movement, so thank you for being here. If you'd like to support our work, go to afikda.com support and join the hundreds of people around the world who make this work possible. Thanks.